Well, good morning. Welcome. It's always great to be here, especially on a, a fine day like today. Thank you. If you can hear me, can you raise your hand? Just I want to make sure everybody can hear me. Everyone can hear me? Yeah, Matthew, can you hear me? Raise your hand. All right. I want to reiterate both the kids moving up on the 22nd of September and the need for Sunday school workers, as well as the 15th of September going to a joint service with Point Pleasant. So I want to do that. Also, I was also reading through the book of Nehemiah, and it says that uh, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, Then all the people answered amen while lifting their hands. So I thought we'd be a little biblical here this morning. So this summer, we spent time each Sunday morning going through the Psalms. I want you to imagine yourself taking a journey through your life. Imagine as you go through those different parts of your life and you look at them through different lenses. You know, I can look back on my life and I can see that there are parts of my life I can associate with different portions of the Bible because there were times I was heavily into the prophets and, and reading through the prophecies. During another phase of my life, I, I dwelt in the books of history. And then, then there was a time in my life where the New Testament epistles were, were the focus of my, of my reading and the desires of my reading. The Psalms, on the other hand, not so much. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I looked at the Psalms a lot like the poet Michael Longley when he looked at poetry. He was a poet. He looked at poetry. He says, one of the marvelous things about poetry is that it's useless. It's useless. What use is poetry, people occasionally ask. And that's how I felt about the Psalms. Yes, I know it's the inspired word of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. But I mean, it wasn't something that I really connected with. And it wasn't until about two years ago that I really started getting into it. And Michael Longley continues his quote and says, What use is poetry? The answer is no use. But it doesn't mean to say that it's without value. It's without use, but it is valuable. And the more I read through the Psalms, the more I poured out my heart to the Lord, and I could, the more I could relate to the psalmist. And come to find meaning and a connection. Either the closer I walked with Jesus in the Psalms, the greater appreciation I had for people and for going through hard times and for periods of mourning. So it was, it was great to go through the Psalms this summer in our series. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, the book of Psalms is a collection of songs. It's essentially a, a collection of songs. Every culture has its songs. Music and words that come together to powerfully convey the message of the singer and the songwriter. Songs reflect the culture and they also help create it. Tim uh, uh, recited a quote and I'll repeat it here because it was Andrew Fletcher, the commissioner of the, Scotland, uh, the Parliament of Scotland who in the early 18th century who wrote, let me make the songs of a nation and I care not who makes its laws. Music and words brought together seem to reach every corner of our hearts and describe every human experience and every human emotion. There are songs of joy and songs of sadness, songs of reflection and songs of anticipation, songs for life's best days 
and song for life, songs for life's worst days. This is perhaps best said by Johnny Cash. In November 1996, uh, Johnny, Johnny Cash released his Grammy Award-winning album, Unchained, and in the liner notes, he has uh, this quote. He says he loves songs. He says, I love songs about horses and railroads, land, judgment day, family, hard times, whiskey, courtship, marriage, adultery, separation, murder, war, prison, rambling, damnation, home, salvation, death, Pride, humor, piety, rebellion, patriotism, larceny, determination, tragedy, rowdiness, heartbreak, and love, and mother and God. There are songs about everything. There are a lot of songs in the Bible, from, from Miriam and Moses in the days of the Exodus to Solomon, who wrote a thousand and five songs. The Apostle Paul, he quoted hymns from the first century in his epistles. And even in the book of Revelation where we have the visions, they are singing a new song in heaven. The Bible is full of songs. You know, they didn't have railroads back then, but every other thing up on that list you can find in the Bible. So the largest collection of songs in the Bible is found in the book of Psalms. So just as an overview of what we went through this summer, John Scalambro opened our series with two weeks of an overview of the book of Psalms, both to help see the Psalms as a whole and to set us on a course through this summer. And then Pete LaRosa tackled the first two chapters and he gave us a new perspective on what blessing is in our lives in spite of our mourning, in spite of our mourning. And in the fourth week, Eric Bergstrom, he highlighted Psalm 22 from the first of the five books of the Psalter. And Eric encouraged us to do what? To be real with God and to cry out to him and to lament. God wants us to be real with him and to be honest. So don't hold back, he said. And then we got to book two. And in book two, we looked at Psalm 48, where John, again, talked about how we are, as a body of Christ, to step into the sufferings of one another. And then Seski was here, and he pulled Psalm 86 out of book three. And he pointed out that sometimes we use prayer as a last resort in our morning. In book four, Tim stood here, and he talked about the prayer of the, to the God who is good but not safe. And then finally, last week, John returned to the pulpit and he used Psalm 127 to talk to us out of book five as the focal point of the Psalms, of the songs of ascent so we can help see a pattern. And he reminded us that, that our Messiah, Jesus, he got his feet dirty. He got his hands dirty. He got his face dirty as he joins us in the morning. And so that brings us here today. We're going to come to our conclusion in our series, and we're going to look at Psalm 147. The last five psalms in the book are called the praise psalms because they all begin and end with the exhortation, praise the Lord. Quite literally, this translation is hallelujah. So what is praise? Matt Merker, he defines praise as to declare with delight God's unsurpassed value and exalted authority. To declare with delight God's 
unsurpassed value and exalted authority. When you read these last five psalms, you'll find that they lack certain characteristics that we've been seeing throughout the rest of the book, throughout this series. For one, there isn't a call for penance. Two, sin doesn't dominate the thoughts of the psalmist. There is no confession here. And also, you won't find these lamentations like we've been seeing throughout the psalms. We repeatedly saw how David would cry out to the Lord, just like the other psalmist. And Eric encouraged us from Psalm 22 to be vulnerable and honest in our hurt. He said we should be praying our feelings. But in these last five psalms, we don't find these negative feelings being expressed. Rather, there is no supplication in these psalms. We don't find these psalms going to God and asking for something. Sometimes the psalmist would request protection from their enemies. Other times they would, they would plea for forgiveness and restoration. But again, these five psalms stand out. Why is it? What makes these psalms different? These psalms are about praising God. They're about praising God. So let's review for a few minutes what praise might look like and what it might sound like because we have some great examples we can, we, we can draw from. And I'll, I'll just read some of these because we can we use our voices to praise the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My lips overflow with praise for you teach me your decrees. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your splendor all day long. In Psalm 63, we read, because your steadfast love is better than my life, then life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Not only do we praise the Lord with our voices, but we use our hands as a demonstration, giving up our whole body to him. And I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. My prayer be counted as incense before you, the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. We lift up our heart and our hands toward God in heaven. And if that's not enough, even nature itself, over again, over and over again, God is praising God. We read in the Psalms, shout to the Lord all the earth. Break out in praise and sing for joy. Come, everyone, clap your hands, shout for joy with praise to declare with delight God's unsurpassed value and exalted authority. You know, personally, my favorite songs, my favorite songs are the ones that tell a story. You know, they're kind of like a ballad. And you know what about it is. It combines the, the engaging nature of a narrative with the beauty of the music and rhythm. Johnny Cash used to like to use narratives in his story, in his songs to tell stories. A Boy Named Sue. It's about a boy whose father names him Sue. And, it, and the song takes you through his life. It takes you through his life as he grows up quick and he grows up mean. His fists got hard and his wits got keen and he has to roam from town to town to hide his shame. Or if you're a history person, maybe you like to listen to Johnny Cash tell the story of an American Indian who has returned from World War II and he's battling the inner demons and he's battling alcohol 
in the battle, in the, I'm sorry, in the ballad of Ira Hayes. And if you read Psalm 147 carefully, you're going to find that Psalm 147 is a ballad. It's a, it's a psalm that tells a story. Psalm 147 is a psalm of praise that's likely sung at the restoration of the walls by Nehemiah during the dedication. In verse 7, they sing praises. They, sing song, they are singing songs of thanksgiving to the Lord praising God with instruments, just like we had up here this morning, with instruments. And in Nehemiah chapter 12, we read that a great celebration of cymbals and stringed instruments and harps are all joining together in celebration, praising the Lord. The Lord is praised for accomplishing His great work. Our story for this psalm starts back in 587 B.C. The city of Jerusalem is conquered by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Chaldeans, and he had done quite a job of it. This was the third time that Nebuchadnezzar had come against Jerusalem, and he had just about had it with the people of, of Judea. He had the city besieged. He had it sacked. It was demolished, destroyed, raised, flattened. It was torn down, burned up. Nebuchadnezzar probably would have had it bulldozed if he had had the technology. He left it a heap and a wreck of rubble. That's it. And the people who lived there, the Jews, the, the people in Jerusalem and all over Judea, well, they were carted off to Babylon. And there they stayed until the Chaldean Empire was overthrown by King Cyrus of Persia, who allowed the Jews to return. And now a small group comes struggling back. About two, million about, about two million people were taken captive to Babylon. 50,000 came back. To help you put it into a geographic and demographic perspective, imagine if the entire state of New Jersey and its population were carted off, and a generation later, the people of Brick, Manchester, and Tom's River came back to repopulate the whole state. That's about what it was like. But when they came back, they found Jerusalem was a wreck. It was a pile of junk. Remember that debris and rocks and rubble all over the place. And the book of Nehemiah opens, and it's 90 years after the people started coming back. 90 years since the people started coming back. And they're hanging on. I mean, they're just barely hanging on. These were the exiles that John talked to us about last week. You remember John, he reminded us that we are like those exiles. We're living under a foreign king. You know, all the people were in great distress. If I, if I just read from the opening in the book of Nehemiah, he says, I, uh, he says, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates were burned with fire. 90 years after the people came back, it's still smoldering. The houses hadn't been built. It was so bad, nobody wanted to live there. Most people thought it would be better if they just gave up and forget about it and start someplace else. Later on in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 11, Nehemiah has to actually institute a draft to make people go back. 
But when you look at verse 2 of our psalm, it says, The Lord builds up Jerusalem and gathers the outcasts of Israel. The exiles were gathered back to Jerusalem. We were lost sinners in need of grace. And the Lord gathered himself gathered us to himself. And now Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem with a purpose in his heart and a commission from the king of Persia to restore Jerusalem. The book of Nehemiah is about rebuilding a wall around Jerusalem. And Nehemiah's wall, by the way, was recently found. A part of the wall was found outside of Jerusalem in 2005. But if you note in verse 13, the gates of the city wall are strengthened. The children within the walls are blessed. Those of us who are keeping ourselves in the love of God are strengthened. As we dwell in his presence, blessings will be experienced. Remember, Pete LaRosa helped us define blessed. He said it was contentment and gratitude. Our delight should be in the word of God. And we'll be blessed. That's the blessing. In verse 14, there is peace in the borders of the city. We should be praising God as the peace of God dwells in our hearts. But it's not to say there were trying times. While rebuilding the wall, Nehemiah must deal with all sorts of issues from outside the city and from within the city. Our protection and security comes from our God who surrounds us. Just like that wall surrounded the city of Jerusalem and the women and the men in the city of Jerusalem, we, we never read in the book of Nehemiah about some architectural issue that Nehemiah has to deal with. We never read about him having to deal with engineering problems or having to, to find stones or anything. like. I mean, remember, all the debris was all around him. You know what issues that Nehemiah has to deal with as he finds as he's building the wall, they're people issues. They are spiritual issues, and they are very, very modern issues, things that we've read about through the Psalms in this series. Nehemiah has to contend with discouragement and disappointment among God's people. Don't you feel discouraged sometimes and disappointed when the book of Nehemiah opens, the people are described as those who survived the captivity and were in great distress. We read that. Do you know any Christians like that? Christians who are discouraged and in distress and, and their lives are just broken down and their life just seems to be going from one crisis of faith to another. Nehemiah, he has to contend with economic issues. When you look at chapter 5 in the book of Nehemiah, you find that there are people who had mortgaged their houses. They've mortgaged their lands and they have nothing left. It got so bad and bleak that they even offered and sold their sons and daughters as indentured servants to pay their debts. These folks were in serious financial trouble. But on the flip side, he also talks about the other side where there are people taking full advantage of the situation Today, we might call them subprime lenders. This is a very modern story. You know, there's a very 
big disparity, a huge disparity between rich and poor today. People who have borrowed much and people who have mortgaged all that they have and they're on the brink of financial ruin. That's a problem in the church today and Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He says, instructing them that there should be an equality among believers. There should be an equality among the believers, but somehow the church doesn't talk a whole lot about that. In an ancient agrarian society, the need for rain is essential to survive. It's part of their commerce. It's a part of their economy because it provides the the, the food from the earth that's needed. And we see the praise for rain in verse 8. And God even watches over the least of the animals, doesn't he? You know what else Nehemiah has to deal with? Nehemiah also has to deal with sexual sin. It looks different now, but I want to take a moment. My brothers, can ungodly women cause us to sin? Can ungodly women cause us to stumble? Nehemiah points to Solomon and says that even Solomon, who was given wisdom from God, even him, he sinned as a result of ungodly women. We need to be prepared for that. And then there were the enemies outside the walls. You see, we are, there, there are enemies all around, both in, internal and external, and they're constantly watching. They're constantly looking for opportunities. They're constantly conniving. And, but God's people has God with them, and God is blessing them. Notice in verse 10 and 11, they make reference to military might. The strength of the horse for its first to the cavalry, and the legs of a man point to the infantry. But there was no army in Nehemiah's days when they were building the walls. No, there were men and women of faith who put their hope in the mercy of the Lord. It was not their strength. And they recognize that. Don't think that anything that you or I do can get us to eternal life. The only hope we have in attaining eternal life is by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. But when the kindness and love of our God and Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There is a blessing for you, and you are blessed. No matter how dark in the valley it gets for you, The protecting presence of God is there. The protecting presence of his spirit is there with you so that the enemy will do anything he can to stop you. And yet you are still watching God bless you. You should be. That's why you are where you are right now. In spite of all the challenges that God has out there, he's still blessing you. In spite of all of the opposition, God has still blessed you. In spite of all those who could not get provision in life, God has still blessed you. In spite of all of the problems and failures, God has still blessed you. The enemy, he's looking on, and he would have destroyed you, and yet God has held him at bay, even though he is also watching you being blessed. Oh, and not only are you watching God get ready to bless you, 
The enemy is watching God with his resting hand on you and his resting anointing on you and bringing you through every trial that you face because God's mercy is on you with the enemy looking on. God is up to something great. God is up to something great and he's moving. I'm in the rubble in between two enemies and God moves. I'm in the rubble between two decisions and God moves. I'm in the midst of debris. I'm in the midst of depression. I'm in the midst of confrontation. I'm in the midst of failure and the challenges, in the midst of disgust, in the midst of discouragement, and God moves. God never leaves. He never leaves. Despite all the problems that Nehemiah had to deal with, despite all the oppression and attacks, the Lord is with them throughout their period of mourning. The Lord never left them. God kept them surrounded like that wall. God kept them surrounded in their time of mourning. And God has you surrounded. Throughout the trials in your life, God has you surrounded. We, sang, we read from Psalm 142, and look around. The righteous will surround me, and we read. About 70 years before Nehemiah comes back to rebuild the wall, the prophet Zechariah says, the Lord is a wall of fire around Jerusalem, around Israel, and he is a wall of fire around you. God brought someone here today. You don't see where God is leading you. You can't see your way out of all of the rubbish in your life. You cannot see your way out of the challenge. You don't know the way things are going to go and the way things are going to turn out. And yet God has surrounded you with a wall before you even knew it. He has prepared a wall before you and before your morning even began. It's already surrounding you. And God has called you here to give you a time to rest in that city of revelation that he has already prepared for you so you can move on walking with him and place you and find your next blessing. Your challenge, you cannot stop where you are. You have to keep moving. I speak to that person who is discouraged and you're contemplating just giving up. I speak to that person who is here today and you've come as kind of a last ditch effort. You've come today struggling with discouragement and, and, and the weight of, of the shadows of ministry and you're just bogged down and you've come here wrestling with the question, should I continue? Should I continue? God brought you here today to tell you he is your master builder. He has surrounded you with that wall. Your challenge is to keep walking, my sister. Your challenge is to keep walking, my brother. Your challenge is to recognize that God is the master builder and he has already gone on before you with a blessing. He's already gone on before you with a blessing. The people in Nehemiah's day were brokenhearted. The people in Nehemiah's day were brokenhearted, just as uh, verse 3 states, they were in great distress. All brokenheartedness in this world can trace its roots back to sin. It can trace its roots back to sin. Think about it. The mourning that we have seen throughout the Psalms is all rooted in sin. The mourning father whose son was killed in a war foreign to, to their own lands because of some power-hungry dictator, that sin. The woman who can barely make ends meet because alcohol was the center of her husband's life, that 
sin. The brokenhearted parents who have watched their daughter cripple her future with selfish choices, electing the pleasures of this world rather than that which is to come. The brokenhearted wife who has endured years of criticism and condemnation from her husband. The brokenhearted teenager who, who was neglected or abused by their the, the ones who were supposed to love them and take care of them. That's the sin that causes brokenheartedness. But the one who heals brokenheartedness is Jesus. And I want to tell you today that you, you are coming out of that brokenheartedness. You are coming out of that mourning in your life. God is working through you and around you to clean it up. And you're coming out of that rubble just like in Psalm 147. They didn't sing about the rubble. The psalm does not end in debris. The psalm does not end in discouragement. The book of psalms ends in praises. It ends in praises. You see, I'm coming out of this, of this morning. The other day I was telling my son Alex about how when I was a little boy I would like to dress up like a cowboy. You know, I had the, I had the hat and the vest and the six-shooter. Uh, if, if you were, I also like to watch those cowboy movies. I'm sure many of you probably watch those cowboy movies as well. But if you were to watch those Western movies, you'd probably begin to see that there was a formula in these movies. There are always good guys and bad guys. The bad guys would get after the good guys, and the good guys would get after the bad guys. And eventually the bad guys would hold up in a hut somewhere. And then they would be surrounded by the good guys. And I would always wait to hear them say the same thing. They said, come out, and when you, you are under arrest, we've got you surrounded. I just told you that God has us surrounded, didn't I? And then he says this. He says, come out, and when you come out, come out with your hands in the air. You didn't get that, did you? I'll have to give it to you again. When you come out of your problem, you're going to be coming out, and you've got to come out with your hands in the air. That means you've got to come out praising God. That means you've got to come out glorifying God, giving God the glory. You've got to come out with your hands raised and blessing Him. Come out with your hands in the air. That means I'm coming out praising Him. I'm coming out magnifying Him. I'm coming out lifting Him up. I'm coming out exalting him. You ought to declare it in Jesus' name. I'm coming out if you have to go out by yourself with your hands raised. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be ye lifted up the everlasting doors. Praise him by faith that he's already prepared a home for you. Praise him by faith that he'll make a way out of no way. Praise him by faith. He's already surrounded you with that wall of fire. Now take those same hands, he says, and put them together. Put them together. Oh, clap your hands, oh, you people. Shout unto the Lord with triumph. God will not leave you in your mourning. God will not leave you in that rubble. He's prepared a blessing for you. He's prepared a home for you, and he is so committed to the call that is on your life that he'll go with you into that rubble, into that rubbish of your life. He's so committed to the call that's on your life that he'll meet you in your morning, and you will come out praising him. Thank you for listening. Let's close in prayer, and then I'll ask the ushers to come forward to distribute the elements. Our Father, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus. It's through him and by him and because of him that we can praise you. Our morning does not last forever. We look forward to the praise and glory and honor that we can bestow upon you and your son, the Lord Jesus, because you 
You have blessed us. We thank you for the opportunity this summer to go through the Psalms and remind ourselves that it is real being in this morning, but it's also real to praise you because you are with us through it. Father, we ask that as we go out from here that we would lift one another up, that we would praise you together, that we would praise you by ourselves, that we would go on praising you throughout the week and throughout the days of our lives. We ask these things in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.